you know, I think our success is due to other people. Like, I think you need people to help you who are experts in the field. Like neither of us had any experience in the lawn and garden industry. So we brought on Marty Gottlieb, who has a consulting company that get, brings startup lawn and garden products to market. And he's been doing it for 45, 50 years. Like Marty's the man. And we wouldn't be where we are without Marty. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Jason Ryder and Morgan Ryder, co-founders of Thriving Design, about inventing new products and launching a fun new brand in a somewhat stale category. My name is Jason Ryder, and I am the inventor of the Seabite and co-founder of Thriving Design with my sister Morgan. I'm Morgan Ryder, Jason's sister, older, and also co-founder of Thriving Design, which is based on Jason's invention, the Seabite Clip. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me. I'm excited to have you. I think this is my first family brother-sister episode, so that's always exciting, and we'll dive in more into that in a little bit. But first off, Jason, I thought we would start with where the inspiration for the Seabite came from. And obviously, this podcast features a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs, but I think this is the first episode we've had where somebody invented like a more of a physical product that needed to be engineered. And I just imagine that was quite the process. <laughs> but where did, where did it inspiration come from? Well, I'm a cannabis grower. So, you know, most people solve problems in their field of influence or expertise. So I was dealing with problems of growing cannabis. And one of those problems is supporting heavy flowering branches, which tend to fall over. And also, the more you are able to support and spread them, um, not just trellis, but to sprog them, what it's called, it increases yield. So I was trying to find a way to tie the branches off and anchor them to stakes. And then using my 3D printer in the basement, you know, iterated it about 100 times until I had something that was able to interconnect the stakes and interconnect with itself and act as a tie anchor and a plant support structure holder. So it was just a process of about a month and a half that went from a C-shaped clip on a whiteboard through the 3D printer process and into market research in the cannabis industry, where I realized I had a decent product, enough to be worthwhile to pursue with a patent and develop a mold for so Jay, though, part of why you did that was your inspiration was you got tired of tomato cages, twist tie, twine and tape, basically <laughs> yeah. MacGyvering your plants uh, to hold it. So it's really just, you know, I feel like we, we built a better tomato cage or cannabis cage or a peach trellis. So whatever you grow and wherever you grow it and however you want to support it, we the Seabite actually makes it so much easier and customizable for whatever whatever you're looking to, to hold up. That's awesome. The best businesses, I think, are born out of an actual pain point for customers, consumers, whatever you want to call them. And in this particular case, you were the customer consumer that was having the pain point and decided to uh, do something about it, which is pretty cool. So you're a cannabis grower. Have you been in growing, farming, et cetera, for a long time? Is that something that kind of runs in the family as well? Because I know Morgan has a pretty awesome garden in her house. 
Yeah, we gardened as children. We've always had plants and vegetables growing up. When I was in college, I had my own organic garden. In fact, prior to relaunching the company with Morgan, I had a aquaponics basil farm that I had started up. We had 14,000 plant sites all run with uh, goldfish and koi on four levels, which was pretty cool. Had run a hemp farm as well. So I've got lots of growing experience. I like green thumb. You know, my backyard is verdant and there's all sorts of sea bite trellises all over the place, holding up tomatoes and peonies and morning glories, you name it. Peonies. Yeah. Peonies. (laughs) I always say that wrong. It's always correct. (laughs) Nice. Sorry, sister, I have to correct. Of course. That's so. (laughs) Yeah, no, we grew up on an acre of property in Loveland, Colorado, close to where Jason is now in our headquarters and in fact where our dad still lives. And in that grew raspberries and rhubarb and greens and tomatoes. And so I remember having chores to pull weeds as kids. And Jason was has grown cannabis his whole life. We refer to those as tomatoes pre-legal legalization in Colorado. You know, it was funny when he first got into the business, any of the distributors to hydro stores or cannabis growers, you go into their into their buildings and their warehouses and you just see pictures of tomato plants everywhere because they couldn't really advertise it was, you know, cannabis related products. So it was always the the code word for it. You know, I came up with this clip just around the same time that Amendment 64 hit Colorado and there's a lot of opportunity in the cannabis industry. Everything was, you know, was beginning in with Oregon and the U.S. where legalization was happening. And so I was also kind of seeking an entry into that marketplace as well. I thought there was a lot of opportunity to do that. So, you know, work my 3D printer in that direction. Yeah, so, so I like to I like to say that cannabis is our origin plant, like Spider-Man had an origin spider. But. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I think a lot of business ideas come from cannabis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it has to do with the cannabis industry or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so as a longtime grower, obviously you were kind of probably experiencing this pain point for a long time. So was this something you were noodling on in experimenting with a ton of different materials and form factors and whatever for a long time? Or was it more of a flash of inspiration where you're like, that's it. I'm done dealing with these materials. I'm just going to get a 3D no, printer and figure it out myself. I had the 3D printer because they were reaching up price point where they were affordable for the average consumer and you know i wanted to tinker with them because i thought you know desktop manufacturing was really fascinating and empowering so i got that and i had probably two or three different ideas on my whiteboard and you know my cannabis plants just happened to be at that stage where it was like okay i'm going in here and doing this while my 3d printer is doing other stuff in the background you know i gotta figure something out for this here you know and so that was a flash of light i wrote the drew the design on my whiteboard and then use Tinkercad, which is a, a free object-oriented CAD design software program on the internet. And, you know, just used a bunch of shapes and stuck it together and ended up, you know, just noodling around from there. Yeah, but it was a flash of inspiration that I just iterated instantly, realizing I had something I wanted to build. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, Jay, I mean, you've always been a kind of an entrepreneur, inventor, like thinking about like businesses to start or things to do. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the entrepreneur's story is, is strong with me. You know, all the 10 failures in the background before the success. We're still working on the success right now. But Morgan and I, <laughs> we sold frogs when we were children in front of the local 
it was Kmart at the time in Loveland, Colorado. We'd go to their grandparents' house and catch frogs <laughs> in the, in their lake, and we'd take a bucket of them to Kmart. And we'd, we'd sell them in front of the Kmart store for gardens and fishing, whatever. You know, and I'd sold lollipops to kids in elementary school that I bought at Sam's Club when they first opened <laughs> up. And, you know, when I was a librarian, I started a digital technology company for teachers to have access to digital projectors and we did some marketing through the projectors and you know one thing or another here and there i've always been been tinkering with ideas and whatever i'm doing it's you know i'll find solutions and pain points to to solve just kind of help myself (laughs) sounds like a bit of a kindred spirit uh to me because i was also selling candy (laughs) out of like lockers in school instead of like a Costco or something like that. I was actually going straight to the Jolly Rancher factory that was down there and so I'd just buy it in bulk (laughs) and then just bring it to school and like sell it at a markup. (laughs) But I also went to like door to door and I would sell like greeting cards or, you know, anything like I would make stuff and go around and sell it to people. (laughs) My mom is an artist as well and she would often go to art shows and I would just like make some stuff to bring and try to sell as well. So, I was just always coming up with one way or another to create a business. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Back in 1993, when I first moved to Oregon, Jason was still going to UCSB down in um, Santa Barbara. He came up with some friends to go to the Grateful Dead show in Eugene. And I drove down from Portland to meet him. And Jason and all of his friends had, you know, I don't remember what you had, like sage bundles or people made bracelets and they made drums and they were selling all sorts of things. And I remember being down there and going, eh, see what can I sell. I can sell my knowledge on how people can recycle their household hazardous waste with my environmental engineering degree. (laughs) So it was like everyone had made something and I I had nothing to offer. So I'm not a creator in that way whatsoever. I think our mom tried to get us to make Christmas presents one year and for everybody. And my response was the only thing I make is dinner and purchases. So (laughs) it's good to to have a business partner who does like to make things. Yeah, well, speaking of which, how did brother and sister come to start this company together? Sure. I invited Morgan to join me in 2019 once the patent came through. Up until then, I had sold about a half a million units through the hydro market. And, you know, it's pretty cool, but that's a half a million pieces of popcorn. It doesn't really add up (laughs) too much. And I needed a larger market. I needed better marketing. I needed help with my network. And, you know, these are not skill sets that are strong with me necessarily. But I knew Morgan had a lot of experience in, in marketing and had a strong network, and I could totally rely on her 100%. So you know, I invited her in 2019, and we kind of, you know, tested the waters for a little while. And with the patent, came up with the idea of the plant support kit as a way of really pushing the product without having to rely on the customer to know that they need this thing and that thing to build it rather than, you know, here's the steaks and the sea bites all at once versus now you have your sea bites, go find your steaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jay, actually, when he invented the sea bite, he started, a, it was a different company, Thriving Systems Design, that he did on his own. I helped a little bit with the branding and connected him with a designer for the logo. But other than that, didn't wasn't involved at all. And interestingly enough, Jason and I did not have the best relationship as adults. Oh, really? <laughs> we... Yeah, no, we were not close. I think we'd maybe talk a couple times a year on each other's birthdays and see each other when I came home. But, you know, when he called me in December 2019, I think you called a couple of times. I'm like, okay, this is weird. What's going on? Uh oh. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I was like, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> but I hope dad's okay. <laughs> but that when you said you got the patent and you wanted to relaunch the business, it, you know, it just, 
I don't know if I said yes right away. I was like, you know, let me think about it. But really the thing that occurred to me is, you know, it's such a great idea and it really does solve a problem. And it's something that could and should be ubiquitous. So because of that, it was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And honestly, it's been wonderful. One of the best things about the pandemic and relaunching the business is the fact that, you know, we go from not talking, only talking a few times a year to only talking a few times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, we really, we complement each other. And I think we've grown to know each other, become friends, really respect each other's skills and what we bring to the table. And it's honestly been one of the best experiences and, you know, worst time to launch a business during the middle of a pandemic, but maybe the best, you know, blessing you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for us, it worked out, you know, just things fell into place. And, you know, with my career and experience, it's kind of feels in a lot of ways has led led to this. Nice. Well, that's cool that I feel like you hear so many stories about businesses destroying relationships. And that's why, that's why they oh. say not to uh, work with your friends or whatever. There's a bunch of bits of advice out there. But in this particular case, starting or growing this business actually brought you together. Yeah. And it's also big. Amazing. You know, and brother and sister too, we can interrupt each other and say things to each other that you, you could get mad at, but we're family. So we're stuck together. <laughs> yeah. Like even if the business relationship doesn't work out, you're still stuck together. So you may as well make the business relationship work out. <laughs> yeah. And we're just, I think we're having too much fun and, and see the potential of the company to, to not get well, along. That's what I thought was interesting too. And part of why I asked how it came to be is as a, you know, somebody who's constantly inventing things or starting businesses and Morgan, somebody who's had a lot of time working in marketing industry, it seemed like, you know, it was inevitable at some point, right? Like that. Butter, man. <laughs> you got to pull it together somewhere. So that's exciting. So as you two are um, kind of building this out, what do you think kind of Morgan, like what skills are you bringing from your background? And Jason, you already touched a little bit on some of your background. So Morgan, what do you feel like is, bringing into this to make the business slash relationship work? As you know, I had an interesting career. I have a environmental engineering degree that I got from Cornell almost 30 years ago. And I spent the first 20 years of my career working with businesses, government and nonprofit on environmental compliance and sustainability issues. And I reached a point 2011 where I got tired of writing reports and telling people to do the right thing and expecting them to do the right thing. And then the reports would sit on shelves and nothing would happen. So, you know, it, it really occurred to me that, you know, if advertising and branding can get people to buy things they don't need, that we should be able to use those tactics to get people to do things in their best interest or the community's best interest. So I did this swerve into marketing, branding, and advertising, doing business development for B Corp agencies. And when I was doing the environmental consultant, I was also doing business development as well. So, you know, establishing relationships, writing proposals, understanding people's needs, networking, project management. So the first 20 years, even though it wasn't directly business, I also worked in a lot of manufacturing companies and, you know, traveled overseas to you know understand systems and businesses and management. And then from 2014 through end of 2019, it was you know, just an immersion in brand and marketing and advertising and public relations. What I realized though, doing business development, I I know what companies need to do. I just don't know how to do it. 
actually execute the marketing plans or understand the metrics or get into the SEO and the SEM. I know we need it, but I need somebody else to do it. So, you know, Jason having the, you know, he has an MBA when he went back to get after he came out of the Peace Corps. So him having that, you know, the tinkering mind, it makes sense for him to do, you know, the finance and the operations and the supply chain. So he's all internal focused at this point. And I've built a network and assembled a, a team of freelancers and advisors who who can actually help with the implementation. So I, I guess to answer your question, I bring the marketing, sales and business development, networking and, and realizing that, you know, I think our success is due to other people. Like, I think you need people to help you who are experts in the field. Like neither of us had any experience in the lawn and garden industry. So we brought on Marty Gottlieb, who has a consulting company that get, brings startup lawn and garden products to market. And he's been doing it for 45, 50 years. Like Marty's the man. And we wouldn't be where we are without Marty. Like he's helped us, you know, relationships, pricing, programs, distributors, dealers, you know, and this is stuff that we would not have figured out on our own, particularly stuck at home during 2020. And in the same way, also bringing on our friend, Jeff Dooley as a partner, who's our CMO, chief creative officer, you know, help with branding and all the marketing materials and the look and feel so that, you know, we could emerge as a fully formed company and concept where we are getting noticed by the dealers and distributors because one, it's a cool product. And then it's also, it's a cool brand. And I think the other thing, you know, going back to my degree and passion for, for the environment and climate change issues, when we reincorporated, we incorporated as a public benefit corporation and we didn't get B Corp certified, but we did go for benefit corp for good certification, which is a, it's also a certification that you're, you know, managing to the triple bottom line, but you know, in my mind, much better for small businesses, more more relevant and more cost effective. And we also are 1% for the planet company as well. So we're even with minimal or no revenue, much to Jason's <laughs> chagrin, we're, <laughs> we're donating to products and, and money to primarily gardening organizations. Smart. We've donated to Kid Gardening, which is helping bring gardening products and tools to youth nationwide with programming and also donation of products to underprivileged communities. And then here in, in Oregon, one of our other companies is Growing Gardens, which works in neighborhoods where there are potentially food deserts. So helping to build gardens and educate people on how to grow their own food, also with schools and in prisons. So, you know, I think, I don't know, it makes me feel pretty good to actually be making a difference in these communities and people's lives with you know how we can give back. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like you're doing a lot for a relatively new company, which is super impressive. And I think part of that comes back uh, from both of your pretty diverse kind of varied backgrounds that you're bringing all this different expertise and you're, you know how to get a business further faster. <laughs> you know, you might not be able to do every little thing yourselves, but you know what needs to get done, which I think is, is powerful. But then also on the flip side, you're learning something about a new industry that you hadn't necessarily been in business in yet. So I'm curious for both of you, what's something that's been like one of the biggest ahas as you've been learning about the kind of garden product industry? My biggest aha is it's a pretty old school industry. I mean, all of these lawn and garden centers and nurseries, there a lot of them are still family businesses at the local level. And, you know, we had this product at the beginning of the pandemic, people are gardening. So it'd be like, cool, everybody needs these now. 
but realizing that, you know, as a lawn and garden business, kind of like with fashion or style, that everybody does their buying for the following year in the summer and fall. So these next three months, we're just hitting trade show after trade show with the distributors that picked us up so that we can get POs that will tell us like we should know by November how our 2022 is going to look. So it was more the cycle, you know, how the role that distributors play differently than a natural organic beverage beverage space in a lot of cases. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. Every industry has its own seasons, right? (laughs) Like when the buyers are making decisions or when category reviews and retail or whatever, so that's an interesting point. You had to relearn on different industries, cycles and seasons. Yeah. And it's also, you know, learning how they buy and what they want to see and what's important, you know, and how we present our products. You know, I think in some ways the pandemic was good for our business because we didn't have the expenses of traveling to all the trade shows or having to go, you know, meet with potential customers. We did everything by Zoom. So that saved a lot of money as a start. Nice. <laughs> Gardening industry has just blown up in the last two years uh, since 2019 people staying home looking for meaningful activities during quarantine it's uh it's become a very popular pastime and i think it's one of those ones that's going to continue afterwards because people once they get their hands into the dirt really find that they love it and it's a meaningful and satisfying activity yeah you know and it's not just food or getting dirty it's you know growing cannabis or growing flowers or growing you know, tomatoes, fruits, and vegetables. It's kind of like, you know, whatever you grow, there's the connection to nature that makes you feel good. There's the the beauty and the joy that it brings from, you know, watching seeds come up and then the health benefits if you're growing, you know, plants for food or cannabis as medicine. That's such a huge thing right now is food security globally is precarious. You know, there's never been a time where so few people have produced food for so many. And it's just such an empowering thing for people just to grow vegetables in their house and have some sort of you know, agricultural activity. Involved. You know, a little less uh, specialization yeah. is great yeah, in that yeah. area. My tomatoes are coming along. I just actually was able to harvest the first little vine of, <laughs> of tomatoes and taste the fruits of our labor. So that was exciting. It's a new container garden experiment <laughs> out here. And like, I wasn't even sure to be honest, how well anything would grow because we're surrounded by all these tall trees and don't get a ton of sun. And then also, you know, it's Washington, not Colorado. So I wasn't sure how well tomatoes would grow, but they've taken pretty well so far, I think. Although I'm thankful that uh, I got to put up a little bit of protection using some of your seed bites (laughs) out there because the deer were enjoying the tomatoes long before I got to enjoy any of them. So, So I can vouch for the product being very helpful in that regard. And I've also definitely seen in the past 10 years or maybe longer, whatever, the growing kind of gardening movement or homesteading movement or urban gardens, urban bees, like there's just so many things that all kind of connect together to build this movement. So while COVID is maybe a little spike and people have a little bit of time, they're stuck at home. I I do also see what you're talking about, that the trend is just going to keep going for people just you know, like the healthy activity of gardening, but it's also about like self-sufficiency, you know, growing more of your own food um, is powerful. I think Oregon State in 2019 had 29 people sign up for their master gardener course. And in 2020, they did everything virtually and had 29,000 people sign up for it. So just, I mean, it's, it's a huge increase. And I think that 
you know, again, the fact that we were now two seasons into the pandemic, it does become something that people are enjoying. And I think they'll, they'll continue to continue to do, hopefully. And then the cannabis market's growing 20% year over year also. So it's, it's just going to continue growth. Is your primary customer or target, is it the home gardener or is it more of the industrial cannabis or other kind of industry clients? We have really four target markets, you know, cannabis, obviously, because that's a, it's a good year round customer that they'll buy, you know, their plants are growing, you know, if they're doing an indoor grow throughout the year, the home gardener, there's just, there's millions more. I mean, there was like three and four Americans are gardening now. So we have much more opportunity for growth just because the market's so much larger in that case. And then there's the third sector is what they they do call the industrial, which is CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture. And in the cannabis market, there's definitely opportunities for C-Bytes to help support even an industrial operation. So I think once, and we're seeing a lot of customers that are realizing that and coming and buying boxes of a thousand C-Bytes. And we hope that will, that will continue to grow and provide a, a nice revenue stream for us on a consistent basis. One day we, we hope to change the material properties just a little bit and break uh. into uh, toys as, as a uh, construction element. It's, I would consider it to be the goat of all construction elements. Uh, there's no single brick that does the same thing that a C-bike can do. Well, that's actually a good intro or whatever to describe a little bit more for the listeners out there who maybe aren't watching video and seeing some of the products in the background. Okay, sure. <laughs> can you well, describe what the C-bite is and kind of yeah. how you came up with that specific formula and all the different ways it can be used. You bet. Let me uh, I always have some nearby. Here's my keychain. So the C-bite is about an inch long C-shaped clip with hooks on the end of it and holes and dovetails and grooves. So there's a whole bunch of different features that allow it to connect together in three dimensions and in 147 different ways. So the hooks will, will link together. You can bend the hooks into 90 degrees. You can link the dovetails together to make another 90 degrees, or you can put them at 180 degrees, or you can even, for the third dimension, you put the dovetail hook into the groove. And so with three C-bytes, you can get a corner of a cage put together, and then the holes for tie-offs, the hooks for tie-offs, uh, small branches and lines. So yeah, it's just a really tiny clip that, like ants, really interesting by itself, but you start putting them together and there's all sorts of possibilities that can come out of it. They do link in about 147 unique ways, solid connections. So that allows us to build cages of any size and shape custom to the space that a person is growing in. And then even beyond the cage, you can be used for holding gardening tools or irrigation hoses or clip to the side of the pots for training branches down. Once the person gets accustomed to the clip, they're going to see a whole variety of things. Irrigation tubing is great. Yeah. So it's a really versatile interconnecting clip that, that is designed for a garden cane. So the other interesting thing too about it is, you know, that if you get a tomato cage, it's it's always like it's just a one size. You get your tomato cage and that's it. And you can't keep expanding on it. And then at the end of the season where we have to go and store a pile of tomato cages, you know, and for us, the product that we introduced this year is a, a plant support kit, which comes with four or five foot stakes, four two and a half foot stakes and 17 sea bites. And with that kit, you can build a square cage, you can build a trellis, you can build an A-frame, you can extend stakes, you can build a ladder. So it's really, you know, we like to say it's 
the only limit is the gardener's imagination. And some of the things our influencers and customers have built have been pretty mind-blowing. We had one customer build an eight-foot overhead trellis for her loofah gourds. And she's also used them for microgreen trays and built an air plant holder and used them for covering. um, So not just the support, but also for protection, for netting over her ground cherries, building frost tunnels. So it's really... There's so many uses in the garden. And, and Jay, what else have you used them for around the house? Oh, boy. Gosh. I've used them to hold my pants up, organizing, <laughs> organizing extension cords. I keep oh, a wow. magnet the dovetail with a pen on the back of it from my refrigerator uh, pen. Hanging Christmas lights. Hanging Christmas lights up. That's right. Yep, <laughs> I've used it for, you know, creating temporary fencing. I use my, you know, separates my keys and my keychains, so I can take my car keys and my house keys apart and uh, I'd have a big pocket full of keys. I've used them on my automobile to hold up the mud flaps in the undercarriage when it broke once. They've been used on the actual injection molding machine to hold the cooling lines separated from each other. I've used them on my 3D printer to guide 3D filament lines. So lots of meta uses. <laughs> I manufacture yeah. C-bites with C-bites. Yeah, yeah. So- that's why we call him the C-bike guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, picture, the images behind me on the wall are some of my older designs. I've created uh, geometries, perfect spheres using multiple configurations, cubes, dodecahedrons, nested decahedrons. Yeah. C-bike artwork. Yeah. So if you go to C-bike guy on Instagram, C-bike underscore guy, which is my account, you'll see things that I've done there. Taco holders, and drying racks for cannabis. Well, it sounds like... Uh... A really fun opportunity to engage your community to show off their designs, you know, like yeah. show us what you've done with C-Bytes. That also makes me think, you know, you're in kind of the garden slash farming market right now, but with all those uses that you just listed off, do you envision moving into other markets as well? And like you mentioned, toys might be a potential path forward, but it sounds like there's so many uses you might be able to market it into a bunch of different industries. It's neat because the patent is robust. We have six independent claims on it, and we've had a lot of different people suggest, you know, this is a great clip for medical applications or a great clip for electronics applications or, you know, the airline industry could use these when they're laying out the cable. So, you know, on some levels, there's going to come a time when customers are going to come to us and say, hey, what about this? And there's going to be a need use application that that the C-Byte is going to be applicable for, and our patent will probably apply to it if we have to modify the design a little bit, you know, and really it's just a very thick lock washer at the end of the day. And engage to go, to go back to your earlier question about the material choice. Jay, you worked with the local manufacturer in Loveland, Colorado, to test out different materials and ended up with Delron, which is a plastic injection molding material that has, you know, some post-consumer recycled plastic in it. And it has the tensile strength of copper, We've done tests building a cage and got four cinder blocks on top of a cage built using steel stakes and the stakes collapsed before the cinder blocks did. And, you know, a fence that Jason used to try and keep the dogs out of the flower bed or the dog, his pit bull, Dave Barsky, and Dave bent the the steel stakes before or Barsky bent the stakes before the sea bites came disconnected. <laughs> yeah, they also, the runs neat too because it has a naturally lubricating quality to it. So, you know, it fits really tightly when you have them connected, but you can get them out by just gently blocking the sea bites. It doesn't have to be forced. Um, and so they, they yeah, get really there's, nice. There's some flexibility. 
How many different material types and form factors did you have to explore before you found, like you settled on this specific sea bite? It was probably one of three or four that we looked at. You know, we were looking at polypropylene and glass polypropylene and some mixtures with the Delron and, you know, the Delron with different properties and how, what temperatures that we do it at. There's a whole bunch of variables that go into play with this. And I'm just, I'm on the outside also. I rely a lot on our manufacturer's expertise to help us out. And, you know, down the road, we'd like to try to find other materials to use to inject and make sea bites with that are going to be uh you know more biodegradable and still have the same properties because you know plastic's one of those things that you know ideally if it's not single use it's going to be something that has to do a job and that needs to have certain qualities to it you know whether it's strength or memory or elasticity any of those things are going to be important and for this there's all of those factors were important so yeah. no wrong was the idea choice in this situation i'm definitely no material scientist so i don't know if this would even make sense but i was talking to morgan about the fact that since you're in the cannabis slash hemp industry as well it would be really cool to use agricultural waste like the hemp to actually make the plastic as well because i've had an episode of the show earlier with a hemp expert and he was talking about construction materials and a bunch of other uses for hemp and i know people have used it in clothing and you know paper and a bunch of other things so how cool would it be to <laughs> to have your products made out of hemp and be used to grow hemp that would be amazing to grow hemp, even more meta yeah that's definitely on our radar we'd like to do that i think you know material science is is great and they're doing so many different things and advancing continually on all fronts so i bet you will see a, a hemp resin that's going to work for our needs real soon here you know and at this point we're such a small company that you know jason's doing Sourcing, assembly, shipping, packing, banking, accounting, bookkeeping. I'm doing all the sales and marketing and outreach that will, once we start growing and build up a team, you know, I imagine it will free Jason up to do more tinkering and, and thinking about different materials and things to build with them and other things that I know he's got a couple other inventions and designs already on the workbench. I was going to ask that next is, uh, you know, obviously the sea bites keeping you pretty busy with so many uses and potential places to market it. But a lot of my creativity and design goes into actually building things with the sea bites to help demonstrate the versatility and power of the product. So, yeah, a lot of it's right now very, very focused on that. But I have a few other objects that I've printed off the 3D printer. I have some strapping that's actually kind of unique that I figured out. So, yeah, a few other things. You know, patents are not easy things for individuals to pursue either. That was a long and expensive process for somebody who doesn't come in with, a, you know, a lot of resources to begin with. So, you know, I've always just kept these things on the table because once you put them in the marketplace, it's sort of a free-for-all. Yeah. Um, getting the patent getting started is where I have some protection. So, we're just waiting on the shelf now. Yeah, it makes sense. So you've got a bunch of other ideas you're tinkering with and putting that 3D printer through the ringer. <laughs> and it sounded like yeah, you well, learned you know, like- how to use it just to like make these things. So I imagine the more you learn, the more you can do, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And I have another object that works like a C-Byte with a C-Byte that's going to go with them in the toy set when we get there. So nice. I can't wait for that one because then I'll be able to go with them in mass because I only have, you know, a few at a time off the 3D printer. And it's like, you know, I need hundreds of them to really have fun with them. Yeah. So do you envision a lot of these future products that you're tinkering with all living under the thriving design brand? Or do you feel like when you enter toys, you might have to start a different brand or something like that? 
Yeah, Thrive, we've talked a lot about this, actually, you know, and, and Thriving Design is really the company, Seabites is the garden clip brand. So we see Thriving Design being the umbrella, but having, you know, different brands and products underneath that as we grow. And, you know, we looking at the brand hierarchy and, you know, and what we stand for and what we put first for brand awareness is always, you know, questions that Jeff and I ask when we're looking at all of our external facing packaging, marketing materials, advertising, you know, website, you know, what do we feature? Is it the thriving design or is it the C-Bytes? And more often than not at this point, we really have the C-Bytes big, as you can see behind Jason in the, our retail display, because that's the product that we want to know. And that's what we want to be known for at this point. So. And it's this challenge because, you know, first we have a product that doesn't exist prior to it. So we have to educate people on what it is to begin with. It's not like we just a new lampshade or something like that, where somebody knows they want a lampshade and they go look for the lampshade they want. And then to have so many possible industries that it could touch into, how do you take something that's unknown that has so much broad use and get it out there in a way that's effective for the marketing dollars that you actually have. And we've had to focus in on the single product and the marketing industry. And that's where our energies are going to go. And when we have when we've grown, we can start to think elsewhere. Yeah, single product line. I mean, we've got the C-Vites in different sizes, the plant support kit and then accessories. So it's really plant support and protection products and systems that we're focusing on now. And, and Jason, as you can tell, his mind likes to go off in different yeah. directions and be like, why, about, why don't we do this? I'll be like, no, not yet. No, Let's own this territory <laughs> first before you start exploring other territories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Reel it in. Well, it sounds like the future for thriving design is bright with unlimited ideas and lots of problems to solve and lots of fun ways to even use your existing products. But looking back on where you are right now, is there anything that before you started, you wish you knew? So if someone following in your footsteps, wanting to make their own product could learn from and skip a few steps. I would say, I wish I knew we start so much earlier with fundraising. We were self-funded friends and family. And then, you know, just the length of time it takes to, you know, what your investment vehicles are, how you want to raise capital, business plan, pitch deck, all of those things, I think is really important in order to be able to actually scale the business. So not sure where Jay went. Well, my next question is, is for Jason. So I'll wait till he comes back. <laughs> now a question for you is from product to patent. What kind of advice would you give somebody who's wanting to create their own product, like now that you've gone through that whole journey? Well, there's a few things to that. And it is sort of neat how it's set up so that a person without a lot of resources can start to test the waters with their product. Rather than investing in the patent, you actually get a lot more protection from a patent pending because it's in process. It can be changed on the way. So when you have a cool product and you put it in the patent pending, it's not terribly expensive and it gives you about a year of work time to market the product to see what sort of viability you have with it and to see whether it's going to be able to pay for itself. And once you do that, you go down that road and you start, okay, the patent pending is great. Now I'm going to apply for the patent. And once you do that, you're fairly well committed. And a piece of advice I would have is to establish fairly tightly what your requirements are that you're seeking to argue for the claim. So that being said, as I, I went out and I thought, oh, this is great. And I got the C-clip and the C-clip with the hooks and the C-clip with the dovetails and the hook with the groove and all of these teeth inside and the natural hinge on the outside. And we went at it with a very broad, what can we get out of this? And we were seeking to patent 
you know, the most rudimentary form of it, which on one level was great because then I have this very broad patent with multiple claims, but also required a, a lot of arguing with the patent reviewer and a lot of legal expenses to get that done. And if I had been more tight in reining in my expectations, it would have been a faster and less expensive process, which you know may not be what a person's goal is. But going down that road again, I would be a little bit more specific in terms of what I needed to have patent versus just seeing how much of it I could do, which was great at the end, but it was really painful in the middle. Wow. Okay. That's good advice. And I know that for trademarks, you're submitting that trademark under specific categories. Is that the same with patent? You had to know where all you're going to sell this and apply for the patent in those categories? There could be a little to that, but no, not really. Use is not so much of a factor. You know, if I want my C-Byte and I say the C-Byte is a gardening clip and somebody says, oh, okay, great. We're going to use C-Bytes in electronics, you know, to hold wires. All of a sudden they can't take the C-Byte and just reapply it to a new use. That's a design patent is what we have. So in this case, um, it's on the shape of the object and the object's purpose is irrelevant to that. So as you enter into toys and any other kind of industry, that patent still applies? Still will hold, yeah. You know, and then by the time we get there, we have, you know, with patents also, there's lots of things that you just don't know when you bite it off. They expire in 20 years. International patents are expensive and require application processes. And, you know, if you want to get global patents, it's a whole other process. And, you know, you've got to renew those patents on a regular basis. And so those sorts of things are all questions you want to be prepared to answer at some point in time and how deeply you want to get into it. We're, we're, uh, we're U.S. patent protection and we're hoping all of our treaties are going to help to protect that. And then in 20 years' time, we're going to hope that, you know, the CBI brand is the brand like Lego is the brand because Lego doesn't have the patent on their brick anymore. It's a company that tells stories and markets now. Yeah. They do have other patents for different bricks, but, you know, it's not like they can protect the, the actual physical form of the Lego anymore. You know, they went out there in the early days and they said, all right, here's the 15 other varieties of brick connections that you can make. And they patented all of them and, you know, whatever. Nice. 20 and years for passed. your um, prototyping to get to the point where you were pretty sure that it was set in stone and patentable, do you have any tips for new users, new to a 3D printer or kind of new to the software of, of how they can dive in and start noodling around as quick as possible? You know, I think one of the key factors is just have fun and do something that's interesting to you and let it take you where it will. Some of that stuff, is it's going to be a dead end. It's going to take you somewhere wonderful. So, I mean, just see what, what you're good at and what you enjoy doing and try to apply it. With 3D printers, you know, I learn on the fly. I still don't have the design skills to go into SolidWorks and, you know, play with the vectors. And I've thought about it. But it's like, well, you know, I have, I have a lot of other things that I need to be doing with my time and attention. So, if, you know, that's where I take it to a point and then I bring it to somebody like Morgan has said, who's an expert at that. And when it comes to that, and I guess that may be the answer to your question is make sure that whatever rudimentary design you have is where you want it to be. So, you know, ask for people to help you and pay for some expertise if you need nice. to. And Morgan, I know you have worked on brands and with, you know, marketing in the marketing industry and so on and so forth for a while. But now that you're on the inside of a product company, what advice would you give to someone wanting to launch their own product? Work with somebody who's a brand expert. I think that there's really, there are great designers out there, but, you know, 
just having a logo doesn't help you tell the story about the brand and who you are as a company and what you stand for, which will really, you know, I think people think a brand is just like a logo and a tagline, but it's really not, you know, brand is the soul of the company, you know, so I would say understanding that and finding a, a good partner who can, who understands that. And, you know, as much as it would have been great to like spend the time and do brand strategy and brand book up front, we've been backing into it because we did have a good logo and we inherently knew what we stood for. But I think, you know, spending an, a little bit of time and really, you know, understanding your core values for thriving design and C-Byte were, you know, fun, innovative, and friendly. And that dictates the way that we look and feel with all of our products, all of our packaging, our trade shows, our swag, social media, videos. So it's just, you know, once you've got that solid, then there's not as much questions about, does this feel like us? Because we know what, who we are and we know what we stand for and we know how to stand out too, because I think it's different and different than most brands in the lawn and garden category too. So that's, it's been another thing that's fun is coming up with that and the nice. awesome. goal of the organization. <laughs> yeah, nice find, find a good designer Perfect. like Paige. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're welcome. But, you know, I, I think it's a testament to, to your skill and work too and understanding that. And I think that makes a difference for your clients is that it does stand out and they're all different and they all are unique to the organization. So. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I'm hoping that that will help anyone kind of aspiring to launch their own product because I know that there's so many ideas, but ideas are only worth how well they're executed, right? So going through all these steps, kind of learning the industry, figuring out how patents work, figuring out how to launch brand, you know, just learning from people that have been there before you will help you avoid a lot of costly mistakes. So Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is it really helped us stand out pretty quickly. I mean, as a new company, when we would do presentations to distributors or to sales teams or send them product, it was like, wow, you guys look like you've been around for a while. You know what you're doing. We're interested in this product because not only is it a good product, but it's going to stand out and sell. And people, and I think the best part about what we're doing now is getting feedback from my customers. I mean, I get regular messages on social media and even emails, like how much people love our products and how much they love us as a company. So it's, it's the type of business that we set out to build and grow. That's beautiful. Well, I'm looking forward to following your journey and seeing where Thriving Designs goes next and seeing all the future product launches and everything else. So thanks for taking some time to share your story and thanks for doing what you do and putting out some great stuff into the world. Well, thanks for the opportunity to chat. This was super fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Paige. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jason, Morgan, or their company, go to thrivingdesign.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Visit EvolveCPG.com to learn about our new workshop, Exponentially Good, to scale your impact exponentially. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com.